0: Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Talkin' Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. So last week we were talking about uh, The Beatles. Yes. We uh, we, we, we discussed the uh, Magical Mystery Tour and Yellow Submarine, and that was exactly one week ago.
1: Yes, yes it was. That's how time works.
0: That's exactly how time works. Um, no, actually, unfortunately, that is not the truth. This is... Uh... <laughs> It was about um, let's uh, I don't know two years ago that we recorded the last episode of Talking Movies. Three, three, yes, because it was yeah it was 2014, so yeah we're yeah it was right around this time of year too. So three years later, Talking Movies is back from the dead, as it were. An and apt an reference. An apt reference because today uh, this is sort of an emergency broadcast almost. Uh, Tim really wanted to discuss the recent death of George Romero, the uh, famous creator of the *Night of Living Dead* series of films.
1: Basically, the idea of the modern zombie, like the godfather of what we know of as, like the zombie.
0: Yeah, you know, and it, it's hard to sort of remember that, like, he basically invented like a genre of not just film but it's gone beyond movies it's like you know you look at, at everything from like the walking dead on tv which was originally a comic like all of these things like he created an entire genre of entertainment and there aren't many people who can say that they
1: did yeah and there's even like the zombie walks the, the charity zombie walks and things yeah like, like, like comic cons and all sorts of like things. those people aren't inspired by like White Zombie, King of the Zombies, Plague of the Zombies, like the like the voodoo zombie movies. Yeah, They're, not at all. Those are from Romero.
0: Yeah, so uh, we wanted to get together and uh, jumpstart this old podcast, dust it off, and uh, see if there's any life in this old corpse.
1: How did you first become aware of George Romero?
0: Um, I think, uh, like most people, their introduction to George Romero is... From his most famous movie, which is *Night of the Living Dead*, yeah, and that was that was definitely the the first uh, intro that I had to not just him, but all of all of his work in the whole *Dawn of the Dead*, *Day of the Dead*, all of that. Um, yeah, I, I saw *Night of the Living Dead* first.
1: Do you remember how old you were?
0: I must have been. I mean, I remember it actually very clearly. It was definitely in high school. Okay. And I remember watching it. And, like, the next day, I was at the Crossgates Mall, and uh, we were doing school shopping. We were, and I went to, like, Hot Topic or one of those places. As you do in high school, you go and you get your, you know, cool new shirt. This was at a time when Hot Topic was very, like, uh, was just sort of becoming a thing. And you would go in, and you'd be like, oh, my God. Actually, you know, now I'm thinking, this was, this was definitely in, like, middle school. Because I remember, also, I bought some uh, gigantic Monty Python t-shirts that day.
1: Okay, yeah. I, um, I think I remember those shirts.
0: Yeah, and I was in middle school, <laughs> and for some reason I thought it was just a great idea to wear extra large t-shirts as a scrawny little uh, 13-year-old. But anyway, I remember walking in and seeing a, uh, a Night of the Living Dead poster, and I had just watched the movie the night before, and I was like, I need that poster. And so I, I bought it, and... I've had it hanging in my bedroom at my dad's house for, well, ever since.
1: Awesome. I uh, I saw it for the first time when I was either about to turn 10 or I had just turned 10. And uh, I think I've, I've definitely talked about this uh, on a previous episode, where my parents would uh, buy me just really cheap videos as a child, and yeah. Night of the Living Dead unfortunately for the people who made it fell into the public domain so there are thousands of different editions of it out there
0: it's kind of funny that you're talking about your parents buying you cheap movies because you you talked about this last week when we talked about uh magical mystery tour and how your uncle bought you magical mystery tour
1: yes uh he also got me uh the mexican santa claus on vhs yes you were you 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 said this last week that's right okay (laughs) (laughs) yes last week um but I mean, my parents must have known what Night of the Living Dead was, even at that time. Not that it was that long ago that I was 10, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, it was an iconic film, like, almost right off the bat. And I know that my dad watched a lot of, like, uh, like horror and exploitation films at the, the local Falls movie theater, The Paramount, which unfortunately was torn down before I started watching movies. Yeah. I know he saw Ilsa She-Wolf of the SS on the big screen there. And that was right in downtown, right? Downtown Glens Falls. They used to show movies like Ilsa She-Wolf of the SS Yeah, in the that's 70s. amazing. That is amazing. Um, but I digress, as I do. Um, but yeah, so watching that as a child, that was a very intense experience. And I was used to like older movies. I watch a lot of black and white movies. So like there are some kids, I guess, who don't grow up with that might have issues with watching it. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I'd like to show it to a child just to find out. <laughs> uh, I have a... I got a nephew between this episode and the last one, so I'll show him some stuff at some point.
0: How old is your nephew? A week old?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, he'll be a year old in, like, two weeks. Um, but, yeah, I, just, I have very distinct memories of um this was like right when my family was moving out of like the house i'd always lived in to the house that my parents have lived in ever since then um and i just remember as we were like in the process of moving and like painting the house whenever all right so whenever i smell wet paint i have like this sense memory thing where i'm standing in the backyard looking up over a hill and just imagining Zombies from Night of the Living Dead coming over it while Bohemian Rhapsody is playing. Because this was also around the time that I got the Wayne's World soundtrack well, I was going to say, does that have anything yeah. to Wayne's World? <laughs> um, So that's all tied together for me in my head. But it's just, I don't know, it's just a very strong film. It, it full is. Full of very strong images. Yeah. All put together very, it's very choppily edited in the best sense it's like a lot of jagged editing um mm-hmm. but as a compliment like that sounds like mm-hmm. so, like i'm insulting it some way but it's well, just, it works so perfectly for i it. mean
0: the the roughness of it i mean the movie was, you know was a very low budget film it was you know but that totally adds to the mystique of it and the feeling of reality that you get from it and it is amazing that even in this day and age, where I mean, like, you can't—it's impossible to count the amount of zombie movies that have been made, just in the last like 15, 20 years. I think *Night of the Living Dead* really holds up in a way that is—is uh, is, it's really impressive for for a movie that old, that not not only that old, but like something that has because um, a lot of times a movie will come along and do something that will inspire just an entire cavalcade of of other imitators that will do so many of the things that the original did and that so much so that it becomes cliche like yeah. zombies now i you know it's a cliche yeah it's just a total like they, they've lost a lot of that initial uh
1: and there's certainly still good zombie movies coming out uh, yeah. from time to time but it's because there are so many of them, mm-hmm. just the idea of a zombie in and of itself. Yeah, it's, it's not just, it's not an original idea yeah, anymore. It kind of pushes me. It's like, oh, this is a new movie about zombies. Uh, I'll wait until I hear something great about it. Then maybe I'll check it out.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but growing up, it was like, holy crap! There's movies about zombies. <laughs> I need to check this out.
0: Right, and uh, it's just it's a, it's amazing that a movie that has been like you like you mentioned it's been in public domain. I mean, you, you know, there you can buy Night of the Living Dead on pretty much any format. For, if you're paying more than, you know, a dollar, yeah, you're okay. paying too much. Um, in just like the worst transfers imaginable, but that the movie still has the iconography that has lasted this long. The 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 images that stay with you, the sounds that stay with you, like the even just like the score is like, uh I don't know, which I- iconic in my mind.
1: And it's it wasn't even an original score. George Romero always preferred to work from uh, library music, like basically stock music. He would just go in, he'd be like, okay, um, we'll. I'll just figure out what music will go well with this. And it wasn't until, um, probably Martin, I think he was working with uh, Donald Rubinstein, uh, did the music for that. I think that was their first collaboration. But he, prefer- even on something like Dawn of the Dead, He was using uh, a lot of, like, just stock library cues um, mixed in with the score by Goblin. Mm -hmm. But he liked, I think, the idea of cut and paste, which goes with, like, the choppy editing that I was talking about. Like, he loved shooting just everything that was there. He would just love to get on film and then figure it out later while cutting it all together.
0: Mm -hmm. It's very, like, I mean, it's very... He he, all through his career, he's had that independent spirit, almost like the guerrilla filmmaking kind of style of of doing things.
1: And when he started working with the studios, it sort of it really hurt his career Uh, because he remained fairly independent for like twenty years, and then um, in eighty eight he did Monkey Shines for Mm -hmm. Orion, and he got screwed on it. And then he did the Dark Aff again with Orion unfortunately as they were in the middle of uh declaring bankruptcy so that got shelved for a couple years and then he spent the rest of the 90s trying to get films made yeah and it seemed like he'd gone into the wilderness or something or he'd retired but he was working his ass off almost every day to get something going he was supposed to do um like a remake of the mummy at one point that ended up eventually uh turning into the brennan fraser films
0: yeah, that um our our good pal, uh, Mike Gingold, uh over at Rue Morgue, he uh he wrote a nice piece about George Romero after he uh passed and his sort of thesis of the article was that he was a filmmaker who was always shafted, whether it be the studios or just dumb luck. I mean he, he always yeah. had so many uh issues to overcome. Everything was an uphill battle and uh like you said, I mean, the amount of movies that he had unmade could probably rival almost anybody else's career. Sort of, I mean, like the modern one that pops in my head is Guillermo del Toro. It feels like he has a movie yeah. in production, like, or like four movies in production at any given time. And then you read an article that's like, oh, no, he's not doing this one. He's not doing that one. But the sad thing is like, unlike a Guillermo del Toro, who actually does get the money to go make movies <laughs> george romero never was able to uh do that and i actually went and looked at all of his uh his films and compared them to dawn of the dead the remake directed yeah. by scott uh, yeah uh, scott snyder zach no snyder. zach snyder sorry and uh in 2004 and it's sad that the Dawn of the Dead remake has a bigger budget than any movie that George Romero ever made, ever directed himself. And there's something just like so unfair about a system that allows someone who invented this whole genre and created the, like a masterful trilogy of films. The Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead. I think you can put that up in, not you know, in, especially in the horror genre as like one of the best horror trilogies ever made yeah and not only that like maybe even up against any other film trilogy in any genre he literally sort of like single-handedly created this whole uh, archetype and did it in such an amazing way and he was never able to you know he he, around that same time he made land of the dead with you know he wasn't able to get the budget for that as somebody like Zack snyder Who was fresh-faced and pretty much new at the time was able to like get the money to remake one of his movies. There's just something so like Hollywood is just so unfair.
1: Yeah. Um, At the same time, I feel like it was almost a good thing that he always kind of remained, or for the most part, remained on the outside because he was able to make the movies he made were for the most part his movies. Mm-hmm. Like, he he would always be the first to talk about his collaborators and uh, their contributions and stuff. But, I mean, as far as the overall vision of the films and definitely the political stances they would take. Um, I've certain, I, f- I could see, like, certain studios not letting him get certain things in if he'd gone with them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, it's kind of similar to... Um, like, he was always very good at talking about the themes behind his films. Like, um, which is similar to Wes Craven who also passed, uh, fairly recently, I believe like, was that like two years ago at this point? Between these two episodes, I believe. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, that was one thing that struck me when I saw that George Romero had passed. It sort of left me with like, man, the, the horror genre is really losing its, its legends.
1: Yeah. We still have John Carpenter and Toby Hooper. Yeah. For what that's worth. Mm -hmm. I mean, that sounds like a personal dig at them. Like, I'm very glad they're alive. (laughs) Uh, I just mean, when you think of the films that they used to make and the films that they've been allowed to make Mm -hmm. recently, because they're also people who struggled to get money. Yeah. um, You know, they're all part of like this. Well, now you can think of them as like the old guard of horror. Right. But in the late 60s and into the 70s, they were like the new faces of horror and they really revitalized the genre and modernized it. And uh, there's a very interesting book called Shock Value, um, which, it treats it sort of like as, sort of like the book Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, about the new Hollywood generation and everything, but it focuses specifically on like the horror directors of the time. It also uh, talks about Dan O'Bannon and then Larry Cohen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm sorry, not Larry Cohen, Brian De Palma. <laughs> uh,
0: oh, I thought you meant the... Uh... Uh, is it Larry Cohen who did
1: the... It's a lot. It's lot. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I just, his name popped into my head, but I don't think the book talks about him that much. Oh, okay. uh, And Wes Craven was also somebody who would be very open to talking about, like, the themes behind his movies. And, but I always felt like Craven's films, uh, sometimes he was better at talking about the themes and actually making the movies. Mm-hmm. Like Something like People Under the Stairs, that it, it deals with a lot of very interesting things, but it's not a movie that I really enjoy watching all that much. Right. Um,
0: I think the same could be said about George Romero's uh, later uh, dead films.
1: I've seen Land of the Dead, but I didn't see Diary of the Dead or Survival of the Dead.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all three of those movies kind of suffer from a similar thing. But Land of the Dead is much better than diary and survival
1: it's a very bush era film
0: Uh, yeah land of the dead yeah yes Uh, yeah absolutely um kind of a very uh trump era film in a way looking back yeah
1: we're back in this yes dennis hopper
0: (laughs) could i mean thinking about it yeah i mean you put a trump wig on dennis hopper and like man he could play the hell out of that kind of a character but uh
1: Now, would you say that uh, I don't recall what they called him in the film, but um, (laughs) would you say that like the gas station attendant uh, zombie, the African-American zombie who sort of leads a zombie rebellion in that film might have been uh, like a sort of like (laughs) an Obama precursor? Do you think he was the black zombie from the end of the dead, sort of? Like, that was... Uh, yes, absolutely. Romero was telling I absolutely the future. Romero
0: was, yeah, he was definitely uh, forecasting the this rise was, of Obama.
1: He did make the film shortly after uh, Obama's speech at the 2004 uh, Democratic Convention, which is how I first heard of Obama, so I'm sure, I'm sure that's exactly what that was supposed to be.
0: Yes, Absolutely. Yeah and i guess everyone who voted for obama were the rest of the zombies that were following him right
1: yes
0: (laughs) um but that but but this is the interesting thing um for being so identified with creating the zombies and and the series of movies which he made six of these dead films Hmm. and you can look at his filmography how many how many feature films did he make total do you have do you know sort of handy it was about
1: 15 or so maybe that sounds close Probably about 15. I think our researcher is uh, looking into it right now for us.
0: <laughs> um, and it, it's easy to sort of th- think of him as like, almost like a one trick pony in a way. Like zombies is his thing. But I think, you know, for, as a casual sort of onlooker maybe. But when you really look at them, I mean, he always made a different kind of movie every time. Not just in the Dead series, but like every one of his movies is completely different from the last.
1: Yeah, and his, the first feature film he did after Night of the Living Dead was um, sort of a romantic comedy called There's Always Vanilla.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that on IMDb and I've i, I never heard of it. I don't know what it is.
1: It's, um, it's available as a special feature on the DVD for Season of the Witch, uh, which he'd made under the title Jack's Wife, but because of his name... People wanted to distribute it as a horror film, so they called it *Season of the Witch*. And then a, a porno uh, distributor took it up, added some hardcore inserts, and called it *Hungry Wives*. <laughs> but anyway, uh... sixteen. Sixteen.
0: 16. So, so, sixteen feature films. So yeah, but fifteen was close. But
1: uh, there's always Vanilla. Sort of falls in with like the early like Brian De Palma comedies, like *Greetings* and *Hi Mom* that he made with De Niro, like. Uh, It's very, it's early 70s, but it's a very, very 60s movie. And um, very, it's not an amazing film, but it's very interesting. And uh, it goes in some dark places. It's basically a romantic comedy, but you're, you're, you you identify with the characters, but you can't really get behind, especially the, the lead character. Well, what's Uh, what's it
0: about? Sort of roughly. It,
1: well, it's about this uh, this guy who uh, he's been on the road for a few years, and he's coming back home to his family um, in Pittsburgh, where most of Romero's films tend to take place and be shot in and around. Um, and he meets up with his father and takes him to sleep with some prostitutes. And then he meets this commercial actress and they start a relationship. And he's very... You know, the like the stereotypical like late 60s, early 70s uh, free spirit. Like, I can't be tied down anywhere. This, this society, you know, it can't hold me down. And he just comes off as an arrogant prick. And I think part of that is... Politically, Romero would identify with, you know, the left of that era. But he was... You know too old to be a hippie and he could sort of see the hypocrisies in a lot of it and like in that film and season of the witch they're very feminist films possibly because his uh, first wife i believe nancy romero helped with the writing of them uh well with the writing of season of the witch at least a lot of the issues in the films are seen from a female perspective even mm-hmm. though there's always vanilla has a male protagonist you're usually on the side of his uh, long-suffering girlfriend in it, uh, including like a very tense scene where she has to go get a back alley abortion towards the end. Oof. yeah.
0: So it is interesting that I mean, and so those films were made in between him making Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, and also what else was in there? Martin as well.
1: Uh, well, after Season of the Witch, he returned. He got sort of close to Night of the Living Dead when he did The Crazies.
0: Right, right. The Crazies, yes. Um, Which is about a uh, government uh, biological weapon or uh, accidentally being released on a town.
1: And it makes them... Like, it makes everybody in the town crazy.
0: No kidding. And they're very...
1: <laughs> uh, they're zombie-like.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But not zombies. And then he did some sports documentaries for television.
0: Right, yeah, we were kind of <laughs> talking about that uh, a little bit. He made a documentary about O.J. Simpson. Yep, the juice is loose. The juice is loose, which is strangely uh, uh, prophetic in a way. When, yeah. There when was I, when some you news, think about him uh, driving the Bronco down the and then there's the freeway. there was
1: news, um, I believe the day before we're recording this about uh, him being paroled. Right. So yeah, quite literally, right. right now. Yeah, the juice is loose. <laughs> yeah. Well, he will be loose in October. Yeah. So that's <laughs> Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> um but yeah, so we haven't seen any of these uh sports documentaries. Um No,
0: but but what what's interesting is like um it seems like he really tried to like he got his foot in the door with Night of the Living Dead, which is a horror film. But then he went and tried to make all these different kinds of other movies that weren't necessarily in the uh the horror genre. Yeah. Um And I guess he returned to it with the crazies.
1: And then after the the TV work, he did Martin, which he always thought of as, of all of his films, um, at least as recently as 10 years ago, uh, which was the interview that I heard in which he said this, um, that was the one film of his where he would go back and watch it and be like, yes, that's what I wanted this film to be, and I'm happy with it.
0: Really? Yeah. That's the one. Martin. Huh. And I've never seen Martin. Maybe that's the one if uh you know, if you've if you've seen all of his dead movies and stuff and you're looking to maybe check another one out, maybe in honor of George Romero I'll I'll watch Martin because that's the one that he was uh most
1: satisfied with. It's a very good film. I remember when um I was a kid, Fangory put out a uh, hardcover book called Fangory's Best Horror Films. And it was sort of like a compendium of like uh different like interviews and articles uh, most of which had appeared in the magazine but they also had top 10 horror films from each decade from the 60s to the 90s even though if it was like 93 so i i'm not sure if i remember what was on that list (laughs) um and martin made the 70s list as did dawn of the dead
0: Hmm. so um for those who
1: don't know what's martin about uh it's a vampire film maybe It's about a confused young man who uh, moves from Indianapolis to, uh, well, a suburb of Pittsburgh. (laughs) (laughs) And he moves in with his, uh, he's, he seems to be about 20 and he moves in with his elderly cousin. Um, The elderly cousin is convinced that this young man is actually a very old vampire. And the young man is definitely... He's a confused young man. He's got a lot of issues, and he does kill people and drink their blood.
0: As vampires do.
1: Yes. But uh, there's there's much debate in the film about whether it is a family curse of some sort, or if he's just uh, a disturbed young man who is killing people, drinking their blood. And um, it intercuts, uh, like, the the main storyline with these black and white flashbacks, not even really flashbacks. They could... All right, it's it's ambiguous. They could be flashbacks. Uh, but, like, he'll be running away from somebody, uh, like, in just, like, you know, the modern time on the color film and everything, and it will cut to black and white, and he's wearing, like, 19th century clothes being chased by torch-wielding villagers.
0: Because mm. so it's, he's... like, are these flashbacks... Or are they just how fantasy, he sees himself, or right? delusions? perhaps.
1: Yeah. it's a very, very interesting film, and it, like all of his early films, it has that jagged style of editing, which I feel like a lot of independent film today. You, aside from looking at like who's in it and the special effects, it's hard to really tell the difference between an independent film and a studio film. Because everybody tries to make their film look like a regular film with the the very strict rules of like coverage and the mm-hmm. reverse angles and things, and it doesn't need to be that way. But it seems unprofessional to a modern eye when it's not that way, yeah. unfortunately.
0: And there's, uh, I mean, there's su- such access to, I mean, you know, I mean, when you have sp- studio films being shot on like red cameras, hmm. and then you have you know independent filmmakers can get a hold of those very same cameras for you know way less than what it would have cost back then to like shoot some of those independent films on you know the difference between like shooting on like 16 millimeter and 35 millimeter there was a much bigger uh cost that you know attached
1: to that and a lot of his early films shot on 16 and blown up um they don't really look that great and i'm hoping that you know, maybe they'll be able to put out some new restorations in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, oddly enough, Night of the Living Dead on some more recent incarnations looks extremely crisp and clear.
0: <laughs> well, I just read that um, there is a brand new 4K digital restoration of Night of the Living Dead that was uh, approved and, and, I guess, had some input by George Romero. Um, and I guess it was shown at the, the MoMA in New York uh, earlier this year a couple times. And uh, George Romero's quote about it was something like, you know, this is the, the closest that it's ever looked to, to what it was, you know, originally supposed to look like. And uh, it was also announced that uh, Janice Films has picked it up for a theatrical distribution. So there are going to be showings of it um, theatrically. Is it Janice or Janus?
1: You know, I'm not sure.
0: Okay, well, I'll say Janice.
1: Let's say Janice. Janice. I don't know. (laughs) Um,
0: But they're going to be showing uh, the film theatrically in October. So maybe through like Fathom events or one of those kinds of things. Um, But because it's Janice films, they obviously have close ties to Criterion Collection. So there's a lot of rumor and speculation that the Criterion Collection is going to be uh, releasing it on home video. Which would be pretty cool.
1: That would be very exciting.
0: Yeah, because you know Night of the Living Dead, because it's it's in the public domain, there are so many different versions out there. Any you know distributor can release the film on DVD or Blu Ray or whatever the hell they want to do to it. They you know they they there are colorized versions, there are redubbed ver. There's all sorts of different versions of uh, Night of the Living Dead. But because it's so you know readily available, not a lot of companies take the time to you know nobody wants to take spend the money on restoring it and so yeah it's nice to see that it's got a proper uh restoration
1: yeah there there are a lot of uh or a handful of editions out there where the um original filmmakers were sort of trying to reclaim the copyright so like that's what led to the 90s remake the 1990 remake
0: Mm -hmm. um directed by tom savini
1: yeah which it's not a horrible movie. And no, I really it's not. enjoy what they do with Barbara's character in it. Yeah. But then there was like the 30th, I think it was the 30th anniversary edition where uh, Bill Heinzman, who played the the first modern zombie, the cemetery ghoul in the original film, uh, they shot new scenes with him. Now, I haven't seen this.
0: I have not seen this. Uh, but they. Now, did George Romero shoot new scenes or was it other people? No, in the I production believe.
1: Or... Uh, John Russo might have been involved, maybe Rudy Ritchie, Russ Streiner, various people who were involved with the original.
0: They are producers film. or?
1: I'm not entirely sure. Gotcha. But I guess it shows, like, I believe there's like a scene that shows him dying. And then there's also scenes intercut with the movie that show him like on his way to the farmhouse. <laughs> Cause he shows up at the farmhouse at the end and it's like, Oh, right. here's how he got there. Um, and it, they didn't really set out, you know, to like make the movie better. They were just like, maybe if we put out our own edition, we'll get all the money from this at least. Right. And, uh, I have a VHS copy um, that I got. I don't even remember where I got it, but it, it was like a two tape thing where the first tape was the original film. And the second tape was a 30 minute interview, uh, or more like a round table discussion with George Romero and some of the other filmmakers. I think, uh, Carl Hardman, who played Cooper, was on that one. uh, Just because they were like, oh, if we make this and put it on, then when this movie sells, we'll get money from that. Right. Like, Of that group, Romero, yes, he went on to have a a lengthy career, um, but the other guys, not so much.
0: Do you know the story about how or why the film slipped into the public domain to begin with?
1: I believe they put the copyright for it at the beginning of the film instead of the end of the film, and it got cut off, or vice versa. Something really silly and simple.
0: Yeah, I, I, I had heard that it was... The copyright information was some somehow left off of the title screen, or wherever it was supposed to be. So it's not in the movie. And that's how it was... So, you know, somebody was able to seize upon that, and... Ugh just distributed them themselves or whatever and it, i guess whatever rules about being able to contest that they they you know the i, I don't know what it seems happened.
1: like it would be a very simple thing yeah, to be like oh to court. no i
0: actually did make this and this is all one big misunderstanding you know this is my thing and you know but... it could be
1: like see the guy on the on film right there holding that microphone playing the interviewer that's me so clearly i'm in it mm-hmm. like i know and that guy he was in it and then, like Hundreds of witnesses to them making the movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I'm not exactly sure how all that worked out, but... Man, I mean, I, I can't imagine something like that happening today.
1: We'll keep our fingers crossed as we try to make our own movies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, next thing you know, like, nowhere's in the public domain. <laughs> Everybody's releasing it. And...
1: Yeah, most of the information i know about the making of the film uh came from a book that your brother gave me really uh called the zombies at eight pittsburgh the films of george romero huh. by someone named paul r gagne that's funny uh spelled differently than mine it's g-a-g-n-e so he might say Gagney, but that is the way you would spell gagne um like when my family first came from canada some of them spelled it that way some of them didn't Uh, but yeah, it also, I remember reading that book just a few months after graduating from college and there's, you know, the whole part talking about his early career where he got together with these guys, uh, you know, there were 10 of them and they were like, let's start a film company. Um, if we each put in a thousand dollars, we can start the company and start doing stuff. And uh, I believe that's how he started the latent image, which was their, uh, Commercial TV commercial company which also eventually was all the guys that made Night of Living Dead
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I just remember thinking at the time like wait really? so if I just found nine other people and I got a thousand dollars which at the time uh, I was you know I just got out of school so I was living at home with my parents I had a car that was paid off for my student loans hadn't kicked in yet so I was like oh a thousand dollars I'll have that after working for like two <laughs> weeks right I'll have that in no time yeah um but I don't know, it was very inspiring. It got me excited about like just doing something like that. But unfortunately, you know, like life happens, and uh, I didn't do that. But even outside of the horror genre, just as like an independent filmmaker, in general, he's been hugely influential. Just in the sense of like, hey, you want to make a movie, do it. Right. Make a fucking movie.
0: So by the end of the seventies, he returned to make a sequel to night of the living dead which was dawn of the dead
1: which often rivals night on uh, whenever they do the lists of the greatest horror films ever made both of them are usually pretty close to the top
0: yeah and that is really no small feat to you could say capture lightning in the bottle the first time with this great idea that's a wholly original ideal the idea the first time around but to then 10 years later go back and some would say even one up yourself yeah. is, uh, you know, that's that's something. What which do you prefer? Do you, do you Would you just on a personal sort of, I guess, level of taste? Do you go for Night of the Dead or Dawn of the Dead? Because there's no question, both are great films, in the wrong way, but
1: I'm gonna have to say Night. Me too, actually. There are, um, there's a lot of stuff in Dawn. That I think it's really hard because I feel like in choosing between the two, I'm somehow uh, making it sound like I don't like Dawn, which I fucking love. Dawn. Dawn is a great horror film, also. Right. <laughs> um, but there are moments like um, like the helicopter zombie, the guy with like the Frankenstein head, who gets the top of his head cut off by the propeller. Um, that. It's only there so that Tom Savini can say, look what I can do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. You could say that it gets a little gratuitous, I suppose.
1: But at the same time, that works in the sense that um, it embraces the dark humor of the situation. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of uh, comic elements to the zombies in that one, as opposed to the more serious night.
0: Yeah. And I think that's where, where I kind of, my taste kind of goes towards night.
1: Like, there's a pie fight in Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, it's a great horror film. It's a great film. Yeah.
0: And, you know, it's... uh, It's such a great progression of the idea set up in Night of the Living Dead, where we've moved from the initial shock of, oh my god, what the hell is going on, and we're trapped in our house, moving to... A more city kind of environment where you know we're kind of trying to live among this situation and hiding out at the mall is uh I mean was just such a brilliant choice on many levels to set the movie there
1: and it's weird to think of um the original dawn of the dead compared to the remake of dawn of the dead which I saw the remake of dawn of the dead in theaters with your brother actually
0: Wait, you saw what with my brother? The remake of Dawn of the Dead. In theaters? Oh, the remake I of... Think so. I I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about the remake of Night of the Living Dead. Oh. That makes more sense, because I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> that came out like, 1990. I'm like, my brother was, like, two years old. What are you talking I about? I broke into your house and stole <laughs> your baby brother. <laughs> you yeah. took him to the movies. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, earlier you said you wanted to show a kid Night of the Living Dead, so... <laughs> the
1: sequel to uh. <laughs> All right, so... But yeah in like 2004 or something um
0: yeah that makes more sense
1: i went to see it with uh your brother and our friend gavin and it, we all enjoyed it and mm-hmm. it was a very fun film yeah it definitely is but it's it was a different kind of fun uh where with dawn of the dead the original you could there's a lot of stuff to say about it and there's a lot of stuff going on there's Themes and emotions running throughout the film. Um, the remake, I feel like they just added more characters to it so they could have more deaths. And it just. I don't know, it was just, like, just a fun roller coaster ride with not a lot behind it.
0: Right. Well, because anything that is. It, it, because it's retreading. Uh, I mean, by nature of the fact that it's a remake of this movie. It's like everything that was to be said was said in the original. So it's weird like what, you know, what do you, you know, it's not it doesn't feel like it's bringing anything new to that conversation. Yeah. Really. Well, but what's interesting is like you you mentioned the tone of the remake, which it is a, a, a almost like a lighter tone. Um that same year Shaun of the Dead came out, which is not really a remake of Dawn of the Dead, but it's a, uh, it's an homage. It's an homage. It feels like it could take place in the same world as, uh, Romero's dead series. And I, I think Shaun of the Dead is a much better, uh, tribute than the remake of Dawn of the Dead. I love
1: Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead is a great movie.
0: Yeah. And I, because it's, I, because I think it's bringing something new to that whole conversation while still being a lighter tone. Um, yeah, so it's interesting that both those movies came out in two thousand four. I don't know what was in the, I don't know what was in the water.
1: Well, I think Twenty Eight Days Later it was in the water.
0: Right, that came out in two thousand three. You're right, and then suddenly it was Zombie Fever all over again.
1: Yeah, and then the book World War Z, I think, was like around that time.
0: And when did Walking Dead start? Oh, Walking Dead started before 2007? it was started. It 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 was actually. Walking Dead, I think... It was a
1: comic book series first. Yeah,
0: I, I think the comic was being written before uh, 28 Days Later came out.
1: Okay. Because I,
0: I think I read an interview with Robert Kirkman, the writer of Walking Dead. And both Walking Dead and 28 Days Later start very similarly with somebody who was in a coma waking up after the zombie apocalypse. And according to Robert Kirkman, he was like, I had that written already. And then I went to go see 28 Days Later and was like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is how my comic starts. But uh, but that
1: is also how the movie Day of the Triffids in the early 60s starts. So I feel like,
0: well, he was kind of like, well, you know, I, ultimately <laughs> I'm doing something different. I'm just going to stick with it. You yeah. know? But um, it is it is weird how those things sort of collide where like the sort of collective consciousness of sort of pop culture kind of reaches a certain point where it's like people are just thinking about the same sort of things.
1: I still have not seen the 28 Days movies. Or, well, 28 Days, 28 Weeks, and then... Well, there was the 28 Days with Sandra Bullock, which... Right. <laughs> I also haven't seen, but it's unrelated. Well, there was
0: 20... There was... Is the Sandra Bullock one... That's 28 Weeks? Or is it 28 just, it's Days? It's just called 28 Days. And then there's 28 Days Later. And then 28 Days 28 Later, days
1: yeah, later yeah, yeah. which was apparently not a sequel. I don't know how many disappointed Sandra Bullock fans showed up opening day. Right. <laughs>
0: um... But it was the success of of, of those movies that led to uh, George Romero's return to the genre in 2005, I think it was, Land of the Dead came out. I believe so. I think it was too... Well, I know that uh, because Simon Pegg and, and uh, Edgar Wright are in Land of the Dead as zombies. Oh, that's right. So and it that's... was because George Romero loved Shaun of the Dead and was like, invited them to come on set.
1: I remember it was in two thousand four, or five, where I uh, found a screenplay online for Dead Reckoning, which was what Land of the Dead was supposed to be.
0: Right, that was the original title of the movie,
1: and it was supposed to be a much, like you were saying earlier, it was supposed to be a much larger scale film, and it ended up having to be uh, tightened a bit. Well,
0: mm-hmm. oh, we are kind of jumping ahead because it, it was it, it was interesting how like the Dead series kind of uh, evolved with the, with modern times. Because you had Night of the Living Dead in the 60s, you had Dawn of the Dead in the 70s, you had Day of the Dead in the 80s. And it's, there's something nice about having that distance between them. Like, you can tell that it wasn't just, like, George Romero wasn't really, never seemed interested in trying to, like, milk it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where, like, he wasn't rushing to get, like, you know, oh, Dawn of the Dead's a hit. Let's, you know, just jump right in on a you know, on a sequel, there was a good amount of time there. Yeah. He followed it to
1: Knight Riders. Yeah. Which, that's a complete left turn.
0: Completely different <laughs> from anything else. Um, knight Riders is, you know, for those who don't know, it's a movie about, uh, it's like a Renaissance fair.
1: With type motorcycle With motorcycles.
0: So there's, yeah. there's motorcycle jousting with people dressed in full night attire. Um, and I mean, I, you know, I challenge anyone to look at the poster of Knight Rider and tell me that you do not want to watch that movie because it just looks ridiculous in a good way. It's a
1: good, good movie. It's a very good movie. And it has
0: a lot more going on than just, like, the exploitation factor of... Because you kind of look at it and you think, like, it feels almost like kind of like Roger Corman kind of feel of, like, just like, uh, you know, just guys on bikes hitting each other with jousting sticks, you know? and um. But there is sort of a surprising depth.
1: And Corman, if he had made a movie like that, he would have had it all wrapped up in about 75 minutes. One of the big criticisms that's often lobbed against some of Romero's films, especially his later films, is they're often about two hours long, when usually a genre film, they try to keep it around 90 to 100. Right. Night Riders is two and a half hours. Yeah, that's insane. And it's time well spent i feel (laughs) like you know you could tighten it up a little bit some of the action scenes but um romero's often uh very dedicated to showing like building a sense of character a sense of location like, all the scenes in Dawn of the Dead where you're just getting to know the layout of the mall. Yeah, yeah, Which pays off at the end when the bikers are in there and the zombies are in there and you need to kind of figure out how to get from one place to another. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you're invested in the characters. Then There are a lot of horror films where you're not really invested in the characters because nobody has taken the time to build the characters for yeah, you. Yeah, and
0: I think it's interesting you bring up the uh, the idea of establishing a location and feeling like you are in like a space yeah which is definitely something that you know all of George Romero's movies I when I think about them I think of the environment more so than like even a lot of even a lot of the characters hmm. like it's when you think of Dawn of the Dead you think of the mall you know and I can I can picture where all the various where the escalators are where everything you know where everything is and uh Night of the Living Dead you had the farmhouse day of the dead you have the underground uh bunker but yeah army bunker
1: silo i think they call it
0: complex even but then even in movies like uh like monkey shines there's the house that uh i forget the character's name that he lives in he's a monkey shines is a movie about a he's paraplegic quadriplegic quadriplegic, um who has a little monkey
1: friend helper monkey
0: helper monkey (laughs) Uh, who helps him with, you know, he's like, uh, oh, you know, give me my, you know, medicine or get this from the fridge or whatever. And so he he has this little monkey that hops around the house and helps him with things. But uh, the monkey goes bad. Bad monkey. (laughs) Um, And that movie's, that movie's really, I like Monkey Shines.
1: I was surprised. I have very positive memories of watching Monkey Shines. It's been a very long time since I've seen it. Um... In the time between now and our last episode, I've actually started listening to podcasts that other people do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And one of the ones I listen to the most is How Did This Get Made, uh, which is a very funny podcast. and Much focuses, much better than our podcast. <laughs> it focuses on what they perceive as bad movies, and they had an episode on Monkey Shines. And I was like, what? No. And I listened to the episode, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I get where you're coming from. Right. Um... But I feel like if it's a movie where if you go into it with the right attitude, you can be completely in it. And one of the three hosts of How Did This Get Made, uh, June Diane Raphael, uh, she actually was sort of defending it at times because she said, like, the other two hosts were sort of um, knocking it, like, how long the movie is and how slow it was getting going and she said we need that first half hour all that stuff where we're getting to know the characters like that's the one part of the movie she thought really worked and uh, I feel like that was very important to Romero
0: yeah and you know I think it's something that uh, I see a lot of modern films a lot of you know and this is sort of I guess a criticism towards bigger budgeted kind of like Hollywood fair
1: fucking rich kids
0: (laughs) But there is this sort of feeling of like, uh, you know, this breakneck pace that a lot of them have that I wondered like why, you know, you have like a, a movie that's over two hours long and it feels like we're moving along the the story so fast that we have no time to like really just settle into a scene and that like can breathe and have its own presence.
1: Night Riders... Um... Reminds me a lot of a Robert Altman film, uh, Buffalo Bill and the Indians, or Sitting Bull's History Lesson, which came out in 76, and um, it's sort of similar in the sense that there's this group of traveling performers who are all basically, uh, they've taken on these different persona. um, You know, they're like, they're Wild West performers in that one, and then Knight Riders, they're like, oh, we're all acting like, you know, we're in medieval times. Mm -hmm. And... That was when I first started to, like, realize, like, oh, actually, Romero and Altman actually have a lot in common in that sense, that they will have, like, these... When they do have larger casts, you know, it'll be, like, this panorama of, like, all these different figures interacting with each other, and uh, you get to know them over the course of the film. And then they also have films, like, like, Altman has, like, three women and images, uh, much like Romero has something, like, Monkey Shines or Season of the Witch, which are confined and they're like character studies. you have like this main character that you're mm-hmm. dealing with.
0: Well, and they uh, you know they both struggled with getting their films made. That's true. They have that in common, too.
1: And when you were trying to make a horror film in the 1980s, one surefire way to get something made was to have the name Stephen King attached to it. And right after Night Riders, in which Stephen King had an amusing cameo, Romero made Creepshow. That's right. Which is another iconic film. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of people who don't even really know Romero, and they might not be into zombies or anything, but they love Creepshow.
0: Creepshow is an anthology film. It's four stories? Five. Five stories.
1: The, Which there's... the TV version I saw as a child was four, and uh, they cut out the um, "they're creeping up on you" the last one with all the roaches. The roaches. That's my memory of it. It could also be that I set the VCR incorrectly, so it just cut off after the end of the fourth story.
0: <laughs> Which was something that one had to deal with back in those times.
1: Yeah, you kids today, you don't know anything about that.
0: Um, yeah, so it's a, it's five stories and it's it's all strung together by this uh framing story about a young kid reading a comic book and uh it's very kind of like pulpy kind of uh sort of like a modern take on almost like a twilight zone type of a.
1: Uh, it was um tales heavily inspired the by the ec comics tales from the crypt vault of horror the haunt of fear uh, cause Romero, well, he, he was never like growing up, he wasn't one of those people who was just like, Oh, horror movies, horror movies, horror movies. He just loved all movies, but he did have an affection all of his life for the horror genre. And he was aware of those comics and Stephen King wrote the screenplay and he loved those comic books.
0: Stephen King or no, George Romero loves. The they both did. They both, but yes,
1: yes, but Stephen King was the one who wrote it mm-hmm. and, uh, right.
0: And he stars in it, in well, in it's, one of the stories. In the second
1: story, the uh, this the lonesome death of Geordie Verrill.
0: Geordie. yeah, that's the same. And it's really, uh...
1: it's brilliant. It's a brilliant buffoonish performance.
0: <laughs> when you when you say like you know oh Stephen King acted in this, the horror movie. It, it's the the kind of performance the complete opposite of what your mind would go to.
1: Yeah, it's just a very well. The whole film is somewhat tongue in cheek. Oh yeah, it's a for fun sure. movie. It's a fun comic book movie. Yeah, uh, and many of the shots are made to look like comic panels. Everything's at you know canted angles and things, and just random colors will come into the shots. Very interesting. There's like effects.
0: animated sequences and
1: like the stories will uh, begin and end somewhat animated uh, to show that their stories being read from a comic book, and then like an animated like meanwhile will appear on the screen from time to time.
0: It's hard for me to imagine a movie like Creepshow coming out today. I feel like the last time anyone tried the the sort of anthology movie, at, le- at least that got like distribution on a theatrical level was uh I wanted to say Grindhouse by Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, but now I'm remembering like, well, there's stuff like Trick or Treat. Trick or Treat. Well, yeah, there is stuff like Trick-or-Treat. Which or treat.
1: does it in a completely different way.
0: And there's stuff like uh VHS and the ABCs of Death.
1: Although there's very few anthology films now that are one writer and director. Mm,
0: that's true. Doing yeah. the
1: whole thing all the way through. Yeah. There's a lot of like, a lot of them are basically compilations of shorts. Yeah. Now, there are a few like Trick or Treat, which I think is is a very very good horror film.
0: Yeah. So and and that movie mm. is, has actually sort of caught onto its own sort of cult following in a similar way that Creepshow kind of has. It's Cult following, um, yeah, that's a good comparison. I completely forgot about that. Um, and they actually are making a Trick or Treat too, I believe. So when I said before that I can't imagine a movie like Creepshow coming out today, like I actually can't imagine it because it does happen.
1: Although Trick or Treat is different though, because you know Creepshow has those five stories and they're separate stories and they take place place within like the confines of a comic book sort of, whereas Trick or Treat is. Various stories intertwine, intermingling, cut back and forth between the stories. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not excited about a sequel because I think standing alone, it's it's just (laughs) fabulous. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And also, I was a little underwhelmed with uh, Krampus, which was the horror film Michael Doherty made. And I didn't see Krampus.
0: Yeah.
1: It's a fun movie, and I'll it'll probably be one of those things where I watch it every Christmas. Um, Adam Scott and Tony Collette are very good in it. It's the only time I've ever really been able to find Dave Keckner very entertaining. Um, but it's just, it just feels like something's missing. Mm. I don't know. But
0: well, speaking of sequels, Creepshow had a sequel as well. Creepshow 2. Yes. But did George Romero have anything to do with that?
1: He produced it. Uh, it was directed by Michael Gornick, who was the director of photography for several Romero films. Um... I'm not sure which ones. I know that Knight Riders and Martin uh, were shot by Michael Gornick, so I'm assuming Dawn of the Dead was, because it's between them, but mm-hmm. I don't want to commit to that. And, it's, so,
0: and that when did that come out? When did Creepshow 2 come
1: out? 87, I believe.
0: So it's interesting that um, that was Romero's cinematographer who went on to make a sequel to one of Romero's movies. And then just a couple of years later, Tom Savini, who was uh, George Romero's uh, makeup artist and effects artist,
1: and actor often
0: and actor went on to direct romero's night of living dead remake yeah. so it's interesting that he was kind of like you know helping out his uh his crew
1: he was always very loyal to his collaborators yeah
0: affording those opportunities
1: yeah.
0: i think that's what happens when you work independently you know you kind of have to scrape together everything and there's a feeling of like you know we're all in it together kind of mentality
1: and I was watching a featurette on the DVD for Martin um, just yesterday, I think, or maybe the day before. I'm, it's very late in the night right now. I'm not sure what day anything is at this point. Um, but he talks in that movie about the the house... Uh, like, the main house set of the film is just... They all stayed in that house together.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was... Um, one of his friend's uh, mother's house and she cooked for all of them, and they all just hung out there while shooting, and it was just like a family making a movie, almost. Yeah. Between the two Creepshow films, there was the final installment of the original Dead Trilogy, which, at the time, Day of the Dead, wasn't really held in very high esteem. Um, It was one of those instances where he had, like, this very, like, big vision and it ended up being like a very, very small movie. Very confined. Very claustrophobic. Very
0: confined. very. And confined. it works so well for yeah. it.
1: And I think... Um, just take it on its own. It might hold up the best of the original trilogy. You don't have to introduce it to people. You could just put it on and say, we're going to watch a movie. And mm-hmm. you could just watch Day of the Dead. And it's...
0: You know, I... Is it wrong for me to say... That Dawn of the Dead might be my least favorite
1: of the Dawn of the Dead trilogy. No, because this is America, and you <laughs> have the right to your opinion. I sir. feel like
0: if I am going to watch any of those uh, of of those trilogy, I'm. I feel like I'm 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 more so I I'm more apt to watch either Day of the Dead or Night of the Living Dead.
1: I think I probably watched Night the most just because of how young I was when I first saw it, but once I had all three of them. On VHS, of course. Uh, I probably watch Day the most. If I was going to show something to somebody, I would show them Dawn, um, because, like, often I would end up in a situation where I would have to hang out with uh, another person, which. Who wants to do that? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like growing up, that was just like, ah, oh, I gotta entertain this kid who's like, uh, the son of like my parents' friend or something like that. And I'd have all these like horror movies, and I was like, "Well, I could show them Dawn of the Dead because there's humor in it," and I feel like I did that a lot. And uh, sometimes it would lead to me actually being that person's friend because we would always have Dawn of the Dead to talk about. <laughs> Day of the Dead. Uh, it's not a social movie. It's a very dark, angry movie. Um, it's a bit. It's very downbeat. I mean, they're yes. all yes, you know, like movies full of. Lots of just countless people dying. Yeah, and but... uh,
0: they don't particularly end on hopeful uh, notes.
1: Yeah, and like because Day of the Dead, that could be a dream, the ending of Day of the Dead, because there's really? that weird cut where.
0: I've never you know, considered s- this.
1: Spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen Day of the Dead, <laughs> um, but there's. Uh, the three characters, I believe it's three characters, uh, getting into a helicopter to escape all right. the zombies who have overrun the uh, the military silo, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, and a zombie them... reaches out and grabs the girl and she turns and it cuts and she's waking up on a beach. Like on a desert island. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. And like maybe that's just her um, her moment, her little... I can't think of anything to say without spoiling a bunch of other movies, but right. there are movies where people are, yeah, I guess, I, and, I
0: mean, yeah. I, I guess I sort of took it. I, I it's funny that it's like, wow, i never considered that when it's like literally her waking up on an island and being like, Whoa but it, it echoes the beginning of the movie when she's in the, uh, yeah. it's like almost like, uh, like an interrogation room. It has like the cinder block walls and, uh, all, all of a sudden it's the, classic shot of all the arms punching through the wall this like you know this you know stone wall which i
1: think is done better in day than the uh the similar scene in dawn where all the arms come through the walls only because in dawn you can see the edge of the wall and how it was mm-hmm. more kind of how it's, it's done
0: i mean if you don't know that it's coming in uh daily which i may have just spoiled it for anyone listening it really is kind of it, it it's wonderful because the wall looks you know great. Yeah, it was perfect. You're not even thinking thing. that. Like anything could be coming through there and then all of a sudden it's just like boom you're just shocked and then she wakes up and it's like you know she's having nightmares of uh, a possible in, in, you know, invasion because obviously everyone who's living down in that bunker escaped this this horror. So they're having these PTSD almost of yeah. like having to And
1: is very possible that that's it for humanity all that's left in the world could just be this group of people who are all just at each other's throats for the entire film
0: yeah and uh but we would later see in land of the dead if you are to consider all of the films as sequentially taking place in telling telling a grand story of this world uh run amok with zombies we see in Land of the Dead that uh, not only are there other humans, but there's other humans in all kinds of different
1: types of societies. It seems. It's interesting to think of the dead uh, films. I keep wanting to say trilogy, but there's there's two trilogies. So it's just, after so many years of saying trilogy. Yeah, it's would hard... you would
0: you consider the the later three dead movies as sort of its own sort of trilogy?
1: Having only seen Land of the of the the second group Mm -hmm. uh that is how i think of them yeah
0: um they're made in quick succession yeah as opposed to you know waiting essentially 10 years between films
1: but it's interesting to think of night dawn day and land at least of like like night is like here's what would happen if the zombie apocalypse happened now and then Dawn isn't necessarily like a sequel in the sense that and then the next day this happens it's more like here's what would happen if it took place now Mm -hmm. and in the 80s Day of the Dead it's like here's what would happen if it took place now
0: Mm -hmm. they are all very loosely uh, thematically connected Mm. I guess there are no continuing characters that you know carry over so what so after Day of the Dead um, entering into the 90s we already mentioned that He uh, produced a remake of Night of the Living Dead.
1: In that same year, he um, made Two Evil Eyes. With Dario Argento. Yep. They each made a short film, or about an hour long film each, and just threw them together and was like, Here's Two Evil Eyes. Um, They were both based on Poe stories. And um, it's. It's okay. It never really... Um, I don't know. I could never really get into it. Either of their um, sections of that film. I just... Uh, I don't know.
0: And they had uh, previously worked together, in a way, Dawn. during Dawn of the Dead. Because... Dawn of the Dead, there were, there were essentially two different versions. There was the American version and the European version. Which George Romero had shot everything... For the Mm. film. And he edited his own cut. Yeah. And then, meanwhile, Dario Argento edited a completely different version of the movie for the European market.
1: Called Zombie.
0: Called Zombie. And that's where Goblin comes into play um, to do the score. And uh, it is interesting watching both of those films. It's been a long time since I've watched them both. Um, sort of back-to-back and comparing Do you have the
1: Dawn of the Dead Ultimate Edition DVD with the... It's black
0: with the red. Yeah. yep. yep. And it has... uh, The
1: European version, the theatrical version, and the director's version. The director's version. Which isn't actually the director's cut because George Romero said, you know, he said, well, it has all the footage in it so they called it the director's cut. The theatrical cut was my cut. Right. So...
0: Yeah, it's annoying how they do that, right? (laughs) They're just like, how are we going to market this? Oh, this is the director's cut just because it has more footage in it. Um, So that that director's cut is essentially sort of like a mishmash between the two?
1: Yeah, and like all the scenes that got cut, which I don't think add up to much, are cut back into it.
0: Mm. So it's like an extended cut.
1: Yeah. And through the European release of Zombie, it's weird, Night of the Living Dead was a huge success, but it didn't really lead to that many zombie movies in the 70s. Like there were a handful of big ones like... uh, let sleeping corpses lie and children shouldn't play with dead things and things like that. I shouldn't say big, but things that are remembered fondly now. Right,
0: yeah, they didn't make a big um, splash then. Though. Yeah.
1: And then, after Dawn of the Dead was released in Europe as Zombie, we have, of course, Zombie 2, the Lucio Fulci film. hmm And then you've got Burial Ground and uh, Hell of the Living Dead and just, there's so many European zombie films in the 80s as, as like, the European genre, like, film industry is dying out, basically. They're just like, oh, let's make these really cheap-ass movies. We'll shoot them in the jungle, which that happened a lot. Right. Um, yeah, it's weird how that was more influential than Night.
0: Yeah, and then at the same time, well, in the 80s, in America there was a completely different offshoot of the Night of the Living Dead series, Return of the Living Dead,
1: one of my favorite films. Which
0: George Romero had no involvement with, but it, my understanding of it is that it was... It's directed by Dan O'Bannon, who the producer of the movie came to him to basically... The, the producer of the movie was someone who had worked on the original Night of the Living Dead. I
1: believe John Russo. And he
0: owned the <clears throat> name, or the phrase, Living Dead. Which is why Dawn of the Dead... And Day of the Dead is not Dawn of the Living Dead or Day of the Living Dead, um, so he had the uh, the rights to use the, the the term Living Dead, and he was wanted to capitalize on that, and so he went to Dan O'Bannon and was like, you know, make a, a movie with Living Dead in the title, essentially. And what he came up with was something that was uh, supposedly took. It's, it's also a sequel to Night of Living Dead where the events of Night of Living Dead supposedly did take place uh, like the, the movie exists within the within the universe of the film it's like oh yeah you remember that old movie Night of Living Dead well it was actually based on a real thing that happened and uh, the government just covered it up and now there's there's like a zombie in a capsule that's left over from that time and it's opened up and all of the 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 Zombie plague is spread once again. Um, but it's a, you know, in tone, it's a very different kind of movie than the uh, Romero's Dead series.
1: It's more fun than Day, which unfortunately hit theaters around the same time, and Return of the Living Dead was very financially successful. And yeah, Day bo- of the Dead. They were Dead both was... na- 1985, right? Yeah, and Day of the Dead, um, some say, suffered as a result because more people were going to see Return of the Living Dead, and they were like, oh, Day of the Dead, that's just a little. That's stark like the thing.
0: old kind of zombie movie yeah there's no
1: punk music in that one this
0: is like the new kind of (laughs) zombie movie where there's like you know zombie
1: punk chicks taking their clothes off (laughs) the best kind of zombie punk chick yes
0: um but yeah uh return of the living dead is a really fun movie and really great but uh this is about george romero yes so after uh two evil eyes what what else did he do in the 90s
1: well his last film of the 90s was in 1993 or at least that's when it was released, and that was The Dark Half, which was uh, another Stephen King, not so much collaboration, it was an adaptation of the Stephen King novel. After failing to get Pet Cemetery made, and failing to get The Stand made, and failing to get The Dark Tower made, he finally did The Dark Half. Um, and oddly enough, about a week to ten days before Romero died, I saw The Dark Half for the first time. Because I was like, oh, you know what, this uh, like Scream Factory is having a sale because they've been around for a certain number of years, so things were a little cheaper. So I was like, I'm going to buy the Dark Half Blu-ray. That was good timing, I think. Uh, <laughs> and then, it's a decent movie. There's very good stuff in it. But Romero's the first to admit that it falls apart at the end because it's got a lot of early 90s CG birds. Oh, boy. Uh, this is was all made just before Jurassic Park,
0: mm.
1: so um, you know they didn't they couldn't really do a lot of what they wanted to do with it. Uh, some of the best bird effects in it are actually things that like really cheap effects. Uh, there's a there's a scene where it seems like there's all these birds just bursting through a wall and coming at the camera, and all they did was set the camera on the floor looking up, and they just dropped a shit ton of birds towards it <laughs> and it looks amazing <laughs> uh, but then when you get to like ooh the fancy expensive bird effects it's just right. and it's the end of the movie and it's got some great performances in it uh, Timothy Hutton plays the lead he, he has to play basically two roles it's about um, it's loosely based on Stephen King and his alter ego Richard Bachman which he wrote several novels under that name Uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. And um, in the film, Timothy Hutton's character, um, he decides to sort of like kill off his alter ego and write more serious books under his own name. Uh, And then the alter ego comes to life and starts killing people and comes after his family.
0: That sounds Yeah, and
1: Timothy Hutton plays both roles and he's brilliant in it. Uh, he was very difficult to work with, according to the special features, because he was very method, and if he was playing a certain character in one scene, everybody had to call him that name. He had two trailers, one for each character. Oh my
0: goodness. And they
1: were set up in very different ways. Um, and that was one thing that Romero was like, "Ah, oh, <laughs> yay, I'm working with big stars, I guess this is what I get. Like, and <laughs> Oh, so this is what it's like in Hollywood, huh? Well, all right. Uh, but it's, it's a well-made movie, and... It's only in hindsight that I'm like,, ah, I don't know it was okay because while I was watching it, until I got to the end, I was with it. And I had read the book, so some of the suspense was sort of like not mm-hmm. there for me. Um, but like Michael Rooker is in it, he's great. He plays Sheriff Pangborn, who also shows up in Needful Things. And it's weird that Needful Things also came out in 9'3. Um, the, you know those, those are both based on Stephen King books. And you have some of the same characters in these two movies from the same year played by different people. And that's a little weird. I, all my life I've grown up being like, oh, Sheriff Alan Pangborn. That's Ed Harris because of Needful Things. And then I'm watching Michael Rooker from Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Mm-hmm. And, and now a, every James Gunn movie, which is cool for him. Right, um, yeah. He's, uh, playing like this small town sheriff. Uh, but that was just me. Something I had to get over. That wasn't a knock against the movie. <laughs> And then after that, um, you know, like I was saying earlier, he tried to get a bunch of movies made. His version of The Mummy probably would have been better than the excrement we saw in the theater about a month ago with Tom Cruise.
0: Yeah. Um. We we should have done a podcast on that.
1: Yeah. Um, and then he came back with Bruiser, which was another low budget horror movie, and it was one that. I think I would have liked it a lot more if it had ended one scene earlier. Because it has a great ending, but unfortunately it keeps going afterwards.
0: And what kind of movie is that?
1: Um, it's about a guy. Now it's been about ten years since I've seen it. Okay, and when, right. did this, <laughs> when did it come out? 2001, 2002. Okay. Um... It's about this guy who works for this company and he's just kind of like this faceless drone in the company. I, think, I want to say it's like an ad company, but I, it's been a while. Uh, and then he, if memory serves correctly, he wakes up one day and uh, basically has a blank face and then kills people. And I'm really simplifying it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, I'm oversimplifying it. That's one I need to rewatch. But Is it, it's, it's a, a, is it a horror disgust. movie? Or it's a it... horror movie. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. Um, I don't think anybody would have let him make anything else at that time. Yeah. Uh, for better or for worse. I don't think he was really trying to make anything that wasn't horror at the time, though. I think he, at that point, you know, he'd sort of accepted his role as an elder statesman of horror. And even if, you know, the the 90s was basically just very, a, a very dry period for him, mm-hmm. you know, he was he would do conventions and around the time he made the dark half was like right before I started reading Fangoria and he was always in there. They were always talking about, Oh, what's Romero up to? They would have interviews with Romero. Sometimes he'd be on the cover, uh, or his projects would be on the cover, but it's like, he wasn't doing anything. Well, he, Nothing he was doing was coming out, Right. but he was such a name Yeah. like Carpenter, like Craven, like Hooper. Um, and, uh, Aside from Craven, the '90s were not good for any of those guys.
0: Yeah, it's true. Unfortunately.
1: And it's weird to think now of like associating Romero with Fangoria because you know, Fangoria no longer exists. And earlier you said you were talking about Mike Ingold of Rue Morgue, and you know Rue Morgue has gone from monthly to bi-monthly. Mm-hmm. Video Watchdog they had to declare bankruptcy. They no longer exist. Diabolique. That's just online now. It's not like an actual like print no magazine, print, yeah. and it's just so much of like what I knew of as being a horror fan revolved right, around like these people who are no longer with us, and, and these magazines which this, are no longer this whole with medium us.
0: That, yeah, yeah. Is no longer.
1: And it's not like, you know, there's plenty of new horror filmmakers, and they're making great films, and there's the internet. Which, you know, I mean, I'm not going to knock it. We're doing that right now. (laughs) We're contributing to horror online right now and doing this episode. Um, It's just evolving. And just, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where I'm like, oh, I'm so old and in the way. I don't understand. It's not like it was when I was a kid. (laughs) It's just something I have to adjust to. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it is. uh... It's a different world completely now. and we were talking earlier how strange it is that one of the things that struck me when George Monroe passed was the feeling that like, man, the, the, the genre is, has really lost most of its, uh, the ones that you think of when you think of like the masters of, of war. Yeah. And even the ones that are still around are not really very active. The people like John Carpenter, um, i believe his last movie was the ward back in
1: Is that like 09 or something yeah
0: yeah i want to say maybe 2010 2009 and dario argento even uh you know he had dracula 3d which i have not seen
1: i haven't seen dracula 3d i haven't heard anything good about yeah him. but i always a, try to keep an open mind with him
0: mm-hmm. I don't and know. and i it's to my understanding that george romero was uh had another dead movie in the works in, uh, we sort of mentioned after, um, Bruiser in the early 2000s, there was this sort of, uh, return of, uh, the zombie films with, uh, 28 Days Later and then the remake of Dawn of the Dead and Shaun of the Dead, all within the span of two years. So that afforded him the opportunity to return with Land of the Dead. Um, and then it seemed like he sort of had, like, his, uh, his in. There, were, I don't. I'm not exactly sure who distributed uh, "Survival of the Dead." I mean, um, "Diary of the Dead" and "Survival of the Dead."
1: Diary was Dimension.
0: Dimension. Okay, yeah. And "Survival," I'm not sure, but he made those like I think within two or three years of each other.
1: Mm.
0: Survival, I think, was two thousand seven. Yeah. And diary was probably two thousand five
1: or. Something. Oh, diary was two thousand seven. Survival was oh nine. I mean, oh, okay. Yeah, um, okay, that makes sense. Because I remember, I kept trying to buy Diary of the Dead. And then um, for a long time, I was involved with this girl who just kept telling me, no, you're going to hate it, and I don't want you to. Uh, mm. Maybe I'll let you borrow mine. And she never did. Well, it was weird because it's like...
0: <laughs> I remember when, when Land of the Dead came out, it was like... It was a big moment. And yeah. it was like, oh my gosh, like the masters returning to the genre that he created
1: it's like the Phantom Menace for horror fans
0: that's a great analogy yeah because it was like this long-awaited return of you know what what could possibly be after Day of the Dead we're gonna get another addition to that classic series Land of the Dead it's got Dennis Hopper in it that's pretty badass
1: John Leguizamo Ozzie Argento Dario's daughter
0: Mm-hmm. and uh you know, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie, because I remember watching it when it came out on DVD, so that must have been 2006 or something like that.
1: I watched it, when I found it used for $3 at a music store, that's that's how I saw it.
0: And uh, so it's one that I want to return to, actually. I wonder if, if now that some of the hype has sort of died, well, I mean, you know, after not not having the uh the high expectations for it yeah um i wonder how it plays but it definitely was somewhat of a a disappointment and i think in no small part the um because i think the story overall is an interesting advancement of where the the, the series was kind of going where i mean now it's like land of the dead is about this uh dennis hopper plays a, a almost like a modern day sort of king in this uh, giant tower in the middle of the city, where the zombies can't reach into this place, I forget what it's called. It's like kind of like a, like an Irish sounding name. Yeah. Um.
1: It was like the the birth of the uh, like the the term like one percenters, sort of like
0: a. Yeah, it's very much like kind of a, almost like a. I mean, it came out in two thousand five. It feels sort of much like kind of like a precursor to the. Uh, occupy movement or something where it is like you know you have your wall street executives on the top floor and you've got all the zombies down on the on the street level and they're all left in squalor while everybody in this tower is uh you know living the high life
1: romero had the solution to it all right there eat the rich yes
0: cannibalize the rich um yeah so i think like the premise is is definitely interesting and it and it feels so much more open and bigger than any of the other movies, which are all very, uh, you know, you're locked inside these these places. But in Land of the Dead, I mean, like the name sounds, you know, you're out in the open a lot mm. in in these in this sort of apocalyptic cityscape.
1: And it does carry for the idea of uh, like the evolution of the zombies. Like in Night of the Living Dead, they're basically just they're basically just ghouls, and they're just like. After you to feed. Mm-hmm. And Dawn of the Dead, they're going to the mall because, I mean, it puts forth, puts forth the theory that, oh, they're coming to the mall because this is what they did when they were alive. And they have like a memory. Yeah, they
0: kit. go and they wander the mall and they go yeah. you know, window shopping.
1: Yeah, a very not so subtle dig at consumerism. Mm-hmm. And then, Day of the Dead, you have that one zombie who is being like retrained to be human again, sort Bub. of. Yeah, Bub, played by Howard Sherman, I believe um and then in land of the dead
0: <laughs> it takes the, the idea of zombies trying to act more like human to yeah.
1: actually lead a rebellion possibly. yeah lead a rebellion
0: like... against the humans
1: yeah and uh i haven't seen the newer uh plan of the apes movies are there parallels do you think between like the way that like the zombies are were evolving and the way that the apes were evolving in the in the uh the apes movies of the past few years. Yeah, like... yeah, because
0: it, yeah, in um, Rise of the Planet of the Apes and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, <laughs> there's an interesting there little go, connection Dawn. there. Um yeah, it is like, you know, the 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 apes are the minority and they're sort of leading a uh well there's the humans who are kind of like trying to exterminate the uh the apes and the apes there's the the conflict there. Um and I have not I've yet to see War of the Planet of the Apes, but I'm excited to.
1: Um, I haven't seen any of them, and I want to see all of them.
0: Yeah, they're really great.
1: It's interesting that Romero is never like, "Oh, the zombies will take over, and that'll be a bad thing." It's just like the zombies will take over; you're gonna have to get used to it. Yeah, it, it's, it's like very David Cronenberg's Shivers.
0: It's like living among, you know, just having to readjust to this new normal kind of life.
1: Yeah, which struck a chord in '68 with the political turmoil and the youth generation, and like everything, like. You know, it was this very volatile time where everything seemed to be changing, and a lot of old people were, like me right now, just very confused and scared by what's happening. <laughs> it's not like I remember. <laughs> and then, like, in the 70s, it's, it's uh, with Dawn of the Dead, it's really stressed that, like, the zombies are just doing what you're doing. They're just wandering around the mall consuming. Mm-hmm. Like, and, uh... You know, the, the survivors, they're just in the way, and they're holding on to their, like, old, outdated, like, oh, this is our place, we need to hang on to it, and don't share it, sort of. Like.
0: And uh, I think where Land of the Dead kind of falls short in my memory is a lot of the, uh, the, the effects are computer-generated, and they just look... It distracts too much from it.
1: And Tom Savini has a cameo. And I remember thinking, like, Tom Savini's right there. Ask him to help. You don't <laughs> yeah. need some guy at a computer to help you make something bleed.
0: Yeah. And it's amazing because it's like the, the, the quote-unquote low-budget cheap effects of, say, the original Night of the Living Dead look so much better than, like, this newfangled fancy effects that plague Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, and Survival of the Dead. It's all wonky computer generated uh uh, gore and it just not that i have a problem with like in in sort of theory like computer generated blood or anything like that but like
1: it works sometimes
0: sometimes it can work but it's like when it distracts too much from like you know it just it just takes me out of it too much where it's like that just the physics of it doesn't look real at all unfortunately when you go into like the low budget filmmaking which Diary and Survival were the ability to create convincing computer generated uh images uh, definitely drops.
1: And Diary of the Dead was part of the once ubiquitous found footage subgenre for, it, right?
0: Yeah, which was a uh, sort of really hot for like a couple years after um well, I mean, there was Blair Witch project, but that didn't really kick it off. There was yeah. Cloverfield, which I feel like was sort of the first of the new sort of wave of these uh these movies which Spawn stuff like paranormal activity and um, uh, think, quarantine.
1: And I think paranormal activity think was probably the big one inspiration wise because you could make those movies with very little money. And I think yeah. studios were like, ooh, look at how much money they're making after yeah. spending so little. Yeah. Which everybody loves that.
0: And um, Diary of the Dead and Survival are both, they're not. Good movies, unfortunately.
1: I'll see them someday, but yeah, that saddens me.
0: It is. It's. It is unfortunate.
1: Very, very few filmmakers are able to go out on top if they've been around for a while.
0: Mm-hmm. And it seems particularly hard among that generation of, uh, of of horror filmmakers, the ones you were describing in the sixty, late sixties and in the seventies. Mm-hmm. This new wave of. Uh, filmmakers who turned the whole genre upside down and really like subverted so many expectations of what a horror movie was, turned genres up on their head, did did all sorts of things. And, um, yeah, uh, you don't really feel that kind of, uh, spark in, I mean, in one way, I mean, you know, Diary of the Dead and survival, survival of the Dead is a is a much different kind of movie than you'd expect it has this kind of western vibe to it Mm. um you know it's a much different kind of environment than the other dead films um so you know he was trying he was always trying new things you know he was like well maybe you know throwing his hat into the found footage ring trying it out so there is that to at least be admired i think you know he, he was always uh looking to do something new
1: He's a lot like Orson Welles, really. I mean, Orson Welles started out with Citizen Kane. And he spent the rest of his career trying to live that down, basically. Because right. everybody's like, oh, that's the best movie ever made. And he's like, oh, I made all these other movies. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but you're the yeah, Citizen Kane Citizen guy. Yeah, but Citizen Kane, yeah. And he also struggled to get financing throughout yeah. his career. And, and then
0: his last credited movie role is the Transformers animated movie as yeah. Unicron. <laughs> you know it's like but as a director right
1: (laughs) he did tend to stay at the vanguard and he would i mean in the early 60s he did his adaptation of kafka's the trial with anthony perkins and it's it could be like a french new wave film like the way he made it and then in the 70s f for fake
0: Mm.
1: it's just like deck you know like it could be i I won't say it's his best film because citizen kane probably is his best film but that's the problem with a filmmaker like that. It's like any other filmmaker after fake could be one of their best films and it's inventive and it's like, it's playful in the sense that it's playing with the idea of film Mm -hmm. and it's experimental and it's like, he was not a young man at the time and he was still pushing cinema. Oh yeah,
0: for sure. And, um, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a shame to see people like, uh, George Romero pass on from this world. Um, but, I mean, he died at the age of 77, which is, uh, you know, and he lived a full life and contributed greatly to not just horror, not just, you know, film, but, you know, pop culture, and, and not ju- not even just pop culture, but, like, culture. I mean, I think, like, you know, zombies are a part of the culture, and not just zombies as a whole, but, like, his films are, are part of our, our, our culture.
1: And he lived our- long enough to... to- to know to be aware of it to experience uh you know he would do the festival circuit from time to time he would give interviews he was open with his fans mm-hmm. he knew he knew how loved he was yes and he died peacefully in bed listening to the soundtrack of the quiet man
0: is that tr- Is that real his favorite
1: I... film yes wow.
0: was george romero we sort of looked over his whole career there
1: it's great to be back talking movies again it's it's unfortunate that this was uh what inspired it but um let this be romero's legacy <laughs> he we shall us to... be your torchbearers <laughs> you've inspired us to relaunch our podcast uh we love you george
0: George, don't go. We love you. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Talking Movies.
1: We'll see you next week when we talk about The Expendables 3.
0: <laughs> I'm Max. I'm Tim. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> That's the only way to end it, right? <laughs>